Hey there, McSauce casters. It's Matt from the McSauce Comic Book Podcast. Now, as many of you guys know, we here at the McSauce Comic Book Podcast are a pretty nostalgic bunch. We have really fond memories of our childhoods, uh, especially when it comes to the toys that we used to play with when we were growing up. Well, the sad reality is that there are some kids out there that actually don't have the opportunity to make those kind of lasting memories. And we don't want that to happen. We want uh, every kid this holiday season to, to have a toy that they cherish and can have memories that they can have for years and years to come. And well, that's where you come in. We need your help. What we're doing is we're looking for donations for this year's McSauce Comic Book Podcast Toys for Tots Charity Drive. This is the fourth annual charity drive. What we like to do is get as much money as our faithful listeners are willing to donate, and we go on a shopping spree to Toys R Us, and we buy every toy that we can that is related to the things that we talk about here on McSauce. Comic books, superheroes, Star Wars, activities, coloring books, puzzles. Uh, We try to stretch the dollar as far as we can. And we load up a cart, and then we donate it to Toys for Tots. But this year, there's actually a little wrinkle that we're adding. If you donate $50 or more, you are eligible to request either myself, Paul, or Ian, or any combination of the three of us to do a commission especially for you. So it's really easy to donate. All you have to do is go to mcsauce.com. Right at the top of the page, you will see the donate button. Click the donate button, select your dollar amount, and hit donate. We are really hoping that you will feel really charitable this year because we actually set a pretty lofty goal. We're hoping to raise $1,000 this year. So um, if you can spare anything, that would be incredibly appreciated. And keep in mind, the cutoff is Friday, December 9th. So please don't hesitate to donate. And we'll let you know what we end up getting. So thank you and Merry Christmas. Welcome to episode 173 of the McSauce Comic Book Podcast. My name is Paul McGinty. With me, as always, are Ian the Sauce Sharply. Hello. And Matt Cassell. Hello. Welcome to this episode of the McSauce Podcast. Tonight, we're going to give thanks. Our comic book thanks, or just our nerd in general thanks, because Matt and I have comic book thanks, and Ian was like, I don't know what I'm thankful for. Is that what I sound like? It, that's what it, that's that's what you portrayed earlier. Yes, but we're gonna talk what we're thankful for this Thanksgiving week. By the time most of you listen to this, it will be maybe Thanksgiving Day. You'll put on the McSauce podcast while you're brining your turkey, while you're stuffing your bird with goodness. Sitting down with the family, put the football game on, and somebody's like, "Why don't you 
just mute the football game. We don't need to hear the announcers. Why don't we put the McSauce comic book podcast Ian, on? have you heard some of the announcers? We're way better than them. I've they, heard all of them. And that's not to say we're good. There's some really bad NFL announcers. So, um... I I wasn't gonna bring this bring this topic up, but is Rich Gannon a bad announcer? He's not a good one because I feel like he was just fumbling over words the entire time. Like he, did he, he do he the just, Steelers game? Yeah, he, he just had no Steelers flow. Game. He wasn't smooth. Yeah, he's pretty rough. Uh, there are worse. So who's the who's the best color guy in the NFL business? I I like Chris Collinsworth. I really do. Me and, me and Matthew were talking about how we like Chris Collinsworth, but he was with Mike Tirico. Do we prefer Mike Tirico over uh, who's the regular guy? Well, Mike, the regular Al guy? Michaels. Al Michaels. Um, I think Al Michaels was just, I don't know what was going on. He might have been a, on vacation or, or whatever. Um, Mike Tirico's fine. He did Monday Night Football for a number of years. He's he's a good fill-in. Al Michaels is a little bit better, but it's... Doesn't Mike Tirico still do Monday Night Football? He doesn't anymore. It is. When did that I think stop? It's, it started this season. It's oh, John really? Gruden and I think Sean Mc, McDougal or something like okay. that. It's somebody that I've never heard so I think, before. I think John Gruden's a good color guy. Um, I think Chris Collinsworth is a good color guy. Uh, I like guys that are kind of funny too right. um, and like have Dennis some personality. Miller. I like Dennis Miller. I thought he was too smart for your typical NFL audience. I thought he was actually great. I like Tony Kornheiser whenever he was on Monday Night Football. I like Tony Kornheiser too. Was it Tony Kornheiser and Dennis Miller? No, Tony Kornheiser replaced Den- Dennis Miller. I believe so. I think that they ran a three-man booth for a while, and I think Kornheiser was in there with... Mm-hmm. It might have been Tariko. I'm not totally sure. Um, I, think that, I think that could be right. But um, uh, it could have been John Gruden. John Gruden's been basically doing it since he quit coaching. Yeah, I don't think that there's any. I don't think he'll ever get back into coaching. He's kind of made a wasn't whole industry out of it. He's, he's sort of like the uh, new a color uh, guy for a long time. He still is a color guy. Him and Joe Buck are a team on Fox. The reason why Rich Gannon and I forget who else was the play by play person. The reason why you're watching that on the Steeler game is because that was probably. Not the marquee game. Steelers Browns mm. wasn't going to get the good team. wasn't going to get Greg Gumble and Phil Sims or whatever. Which is, CBS which is hilarious is because team. I think Phil Sims is basically terrible. I, I like Phil Sims. <laughs> How I, dare you, sir? I like Phil Sims as like a guy if you want to interview him or whatever. But I don't enjoy his color commentary at all. You know who I used to really like? Boomer Esiason used to be really good. He's on a desk now at CBS. He is. But he used to, I think he was on Monday nights for a while. He might have been on Monday nights for a little bit with, mm-hmm. um, in that era mm-hmm. with Dennis Miller. Um, or maybe right before Dennis it Miller. It had to be before Dennis Miller. But um, Boomer Esiason was always pretty, pretty high quality. He fits into that, like, he had some funny things to say. He's a little sarcastic. He could get a little chippy, but I liked yeah, it. I, I always liked Deerdorf, actually. Oh yeah, Dan Deerdorf. Yeah, uh, yeah, I did. Um, Wasn't that the dad from Webster? He kind of looks like him. Yeah, uh, it, it, one of the guys that I really don't like is um, oh, help me out here, Ian. Uh, the former Forty Nine er. 
I, Joe Montana. He, uh, no, he was Jerry a, Rice. Actually, I can't. He's not a. He's not a. He's a, a tight color. end, right? Is yeah, that, he was a tight end. Oh, what is his I name? I know exactly who you're talking about. I can't. I'm Ray blanking on his something. Name. Um, I I can't think of him right now, but I know I can picture him. I know who you're talking about. Yeah, he he just I can't handle him. I feel like a lot of the guys that played in the NFC. And maybe it's vice versa. It works the other way. Guys played in the AFC or like supervised. But anyway, we're getting way into football commentating wanna, talk here. Do we want to curb the McSauce football podcast and get into some housekeeping with Ian Sharpley? Sure. Why don't we do that? Yeah, keep some house. If Just goes, saying, I thought Rich Gannon was bad. I'm glad that I was right. He's he's, <laughs> he's bad. He's not very good. And That's... coincidentally, or or yeah, coincidentally, he was not a very good quarterback either. He had a couple good years, and that was about it. He but was go ahead. the MVP of the NFL one year and led a team to a Super Bowl. For like a couple years, he was good. For most of his career, he was a journeyman piece of crap. But go ahead. Housekeeping. What isn't a journeyman piece of crap? This is a long-time <laughs> Hall of Fame quality website. McSauce.com. So smooth. A, a podcast... You know, worthy of the big game, America's game of the week. That's where the McSauce comic book podcast is. This the Sunday night game of the week or the Monday night game? Sunday of the week? night. That's the that's like I feel like that's the game. That's the that new, America watches. That's the new marquee weekly matchup. Because right? on Monday nights, people are you know they're podcasting usually. <laughs> they're usually not watching Monday night football, but Sunday night to get around with your family. It's right after dinner. You watch. Uh, football night in America. You listen to them talk about the games that you didn't see, and then you watch, you watch the real thing. And the McSauce Comic Book Podcast on McSauce.com. That's the real thing. That's what you want to go and check out and find out. If you go to the Facebook page, you can find out more about us there. Instagram's a great place to check out some of our works in progress and uh, finalized art pieces. Paul and myself put up a lot of different. Um, you know, sketches and ink drawings. Where can you find out about the McSauce Toys for Tots charity? Well, I usually let Matt handle that. Would you like to do that, Matt? You're the master of charity around here. The master of charity. I I really hope someone wants... Someone, someone asks for a commission so we can Paul, get Paul, Paul. Matt Casal to actually Paul, do work. Paul, I'm not a rabbit and you're not a bunny, so let's not jump ahead. <laughs> How long was that in the fucking chamber? Ouch. Waiting to use that one. That was a quote. One hundred and seventy-three episodes. <laughs> that was a that was a quote from uh, Quentin Tarantino from the movie Four Rooms, as you know, the fourth room when he, the man from Hollywood, says that. Never saw it. Vintage, Matt Casal, Deep Pool, Four Rooms. Holy shit! Great movie though. Great movie. Do you remember that line? Yeah, I don't remember that line. I remember that. Well, movie. it's in there. Trust I believe me. you. So, the Toys for Tots charity, every year we like to get donations from our faithful listeners, so that way we can take that money and spend it frivolously on ourselves. That's not true. What we like to do is we like to go on a shopping spree to buy toys for tots, basically, and uh, we buy things that are related to the McSauce comic book podcast, so that's usually superheroes and Star Wars Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, um, but according to Entertainment Weekly, they qualify as superheroes anyway. One of them does. 
One of them does. does uh, one of the most powerful, actually. And Better. what we do is we take all these toys with your incredibly generous donations, and we then drop them off at Toys for Tots. And um, usually we can fill an entire shopping cart filled with toys, and it is one of our favorite things we do every year. So this year, Paul, we decided to throw a little little curveball at it, and we're trying to accumulate even more donations than ever. So this year... As a little incentive. As a little incentive, we have offered to provide you with a commission illustration uh, of your choice if you donate at least $50. So we also said you can choose which one of the three of us is going to draw this commission, and you can even uh, get multiple members of the Mixos Comic Book Podcast to actually work on your commission. So um, whoever you want, whatever you want, just donate $50 or more. So there is a deadline. We have a deadline, and it's going to be December 9th. There's not much time. That is only a precious few weeks away. Maybe not even. Like Maybe two weeks away. Like two, two and a half weeks away. Uh, it seems like it's the... It's so uh, fucking early. Come yeah, on, Toys it, for Tots. It, it seems like the Toys for Tots... Uh, cutoff is earlier every year i i want to say the cutoff is actually like the 15th or something but um we we made the cutoff on friday december 9th because uh our shopping spree is going to be on saturday the 10th saturday morning so we need that money in there by then um so mm. we'll figure the logistics out <laughs> later paul so uh what you got to do, all you got to do is go to mixos.com. There is a donate button right at the top. Click it, donate. Uh, you can select the dollar amount from there. And uh, when you do, you can even put a note in and you could put your note in who you'd like us to draw because uh, we're just assuming everyone's going to donate at least $50. Um, but you can you can make your, your commission request there. You can also go to the Facebook page at the top of the Facebook page. It's a pinned post. You can just click on the image of the McSauce comic book podcast, Toys for Tots logo. If you click on that logo, it'll take you directly to the PayPal. Simple. Same thing if you go to my Twitter account, the sauce, at the sauce on Twitter. It's a pinned tweet. It's the first thing you see whenever you click on my profile. Just click on the link and it'll take you directly to the PayPal and you can donate there. We've already received um, generous donations. Everyone that's donated so far, we've raised uh, $160 already. And everybody that's donated so far has donated over $50, so they would all be in line for a commission. And Do we have commission requests yet? Uh, we only have one so far. What is it? Um, <laughs> Are we allowed to say? Why don't we, why don't we wait till, till later? we're all finished okay that's fair now um so one last thing we want to try to raise a thousand dollars so the only way that's going to happen is if you guys open up your pocketbooks and really really feel generous this christmas because um that's the only way we can hit that goal we've I'm never so quite surprised hit that you didn't say your pocketbooks and your hearts i thought you were going there Open your hearts as well, because this is a really good charity. This is one of the the 
all-time long-lasting charities, and let's face it, Christmas is, I mean, the reason why we even like Christmas, except for Paul now, uh, is because we loved it when we were kids, and um, so this goes a long way to, you know, making kids have a good holiday, so please, please, please donate. It's very important. (laughs) Hey, I still like Christmas. Do you? No, not really. That was a lie. That was a blatant lie. Blatant Paul, lie. I'm Paul, do you it. do you hate Christmas or are you indifferent to the holiday? Uh, I'm indifferent. I'm indifferent to the holiday. I, I enjoy doing Christmas song playoffs with good old Brian Chapinski, a friend of the show, Brian, where we count how many times we hear Mariah Carey, Paul McCartney, and Felice Navidad and Band-Aid and whoever we hear the most between Thanksgiving and Christmas Day wins for that year that's the most enjoyable part of the christmas season simply having me. other than that a wonderful christmas or whatever that paul mccartney other than song, that it's the worst song oh well yeah it's ever. well i mean that's felice navidad a, is the worst one but i will fucking kill you that is my favorite i can still christmas have fun song. with that song it's you know what I think I prefer that little girl singing that hippopotamus that, song to that piece of shit. Fucking Mike you can't Stan. reach me. So Mariah I hate that one. Dillard and, style. And you know what else I hate, listeners? I hate cousin. Oh, Black Mariah. Just go Black Mariah. Yeah, listeners. I hate that Bruce Springsteen Santa Claus oh. is coming to town I, I song. I can that's, get with you on that one. Yeah, that that's too. no good. It's fucking stupid. But it, but nothing is on the level. Of simply having a wonderful Christmas right. time, and like as soon as I hear that synthesized, like wow, 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 it, it shivers go up and down my spine. I want to Matt, I murder believe, elves. I can't believe you hate Feliz Navidad. I, I'm sorry, I really do. And you know what else I don't like? So, I don't like so the the Hawaiian Christmas song that they play in Christmas Vacation when he's imagining his swimming pool. Can't stand that one. So, uh, you know, I know we're kind of going a little bit off the beaten path here. Uh, at the McSauce Comic Book Podcast by me. Well, that's what you America guys, does. It steamrolls Thanksgiving and rolls right into fucking Christmas. I would like to uh, air my weekly grievance now because we're already talking about it. It's shitty Christmas songs, more contemporary styles. I like the classics by the classic artists. Your Nat King Cole, your Bing Crosby, your. Well, you know what? I like the uh, the symphony style. Like uh, John Williams conducted an incredible um, uh, symphony with the Boston Pops, which is really good to me. That's Christmas music. Bruce Springsteen. Sorry, dude. Stick to like kind of rock and roll. Blue collar. Actually, Bruce Springsteen needs to stick to uh, more of the folk style music that he does. Like. Uh, albums like Nebraska or See, I uh, feel the like Ghost he of Tom Joad. He needs to stick more to uh, that song with Courtney Cox and the fire. Not real sure what that one is. Uh, oh, come on, you assholes. You fucking know what that um, is. Not Dancing in the Dark, Yeah, right? that's yeah. the one. Okay. Dancing in the Dark. Yeah, see, I, I don't enjoy his rock and roll nearly as much as his kind of like more introspective, slower, like acoustic-y kind of stuff. I don't enjoy stuff. any Bruce Springsteen. Pretty much Dancing in the Dark, and that's it. Like, I will go John Cougar Mellencamp all day, all night. You know, over I Over the boss. I hear because that. Because I don't are... think the boss 
is the boss. I think he's fucking weak sauce, boring motherfucking shit. Get out of here with your fucking New Jersey-ass boss bullshit. Take your fucking hometown hero and go back to the armpit of America, you motherfuckers. But Mellencamp is the same thing for the Middle Midwest. America. Yeah. Bible Belt. Right. So, I mean, it's like, it's just, which yeah, flavor but it's do you catchy. prefer? It's, it's catchier to me. Yeah. Okay. It's catchier. There's no like, there's no like clear pop hook in what Springsteen does. And I like a clear uh, pop what? hook. Born, born in the to USA, run. born like, to run. Philadelphia. No. <laughs> get out. You're done. Philadelphia, get out of here. Um, we're not here I'd to. Have to d- we're not here to. You. I mean, I think we're that here. We're this- here to to. Get on mad for hating fucking Feliz Navidad. Uh, really? I mean, really? I, you don't you like this, Feliz like, Navidad? Who? Why would you like that song? It's terrible. Because it's, it's enjoyable. It's upbeat. It's just positive. It's just pure positivity. We're just we're fucking because that's what you a Merry life. Christmas, right? Because that's what you like when you think Christmas, right? Positivity and upbeatness, dude. All you care about is hating Christmas. No, I like Feliz Navidad. Why do you hate Chris Christmas? Did you is this a new thing? I feel like this is a new thing for you. I don't hate Christmas. I just don't really I just don't fucking give a shit. Let's just fucking get over it. We're fucking done. You know, let's get on with January. <laughs> January is so bleak and drab. There's not a lot of yeah, good like- in January. I don't know. Like, I'm just not, I just don't really, I just don't care about Christmas. Like, I, I don't think I can properly articulate it. It's not like it's one specific thing or it's, a handful of things that pull me out of it. Like, I, I like I like the spirit of it. Like, I really enjoy doing the Toys for Tots business. I love a lot of Christmas songs. I'm with Matt. I like the classics. Um, I will, I, I prefer all classics and Michael Buble. Uh, well, Michael Bublé has more of a classic right. sounding voice. Right. Bubbles so. knows what's up. Right. But like, I don't need to hear like 21 Pilots Christmas songs. <laughs> stop it. Just stop it. Yeah. I, I like Christmas Eve. I like Christmas. But I despise the Christmas season and the holiday season. I, I, I hate it. I absolutely fucking hate it. I hate what it does to people. I hate what the commercialization of everything i hate the attitudes that people have i hate that it's so cold as well but um i hate the fact that a lot of people are taken away from their families with how much you have to work that affects my family every yeah i was year. i was talking to a um a less informed friend of mine mm-hmm. uh and they were saying that a big dummy and they were saying that uh you know, I, I think people that work retail like it because they get like overtime. I'm like, what no. planet are you living on? Seriously, like, no, they don't. No. Do you honestly think they like having to get up early on Thanksgiving to go work Black Friday so that way you can go shopping eight hours earlier than you would otherwise go? It's not even working. It's not even Black Friday anymore. They're actually working Thanksgiving now. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's like, just how about this? Stores don't open till eight o'clock in the morning on Black Friday. Yeah, is that fair? Is that fucking fair? Walmart's Black Friday sales start at six Thursday on night Thanksgiving. Yes. See, that's yeah. crazy. That's and, what I'm this, fucking talking about. Would, Can we? I understand Thanksgiving's go ahead, go, like you go ahead. It's a super racist holiday, 
But it's not about Thanksgiving is a super racist holiday. Yeah, it's not. It's Thanksgiving. I mean, I guess, it, and it, Thanksgiving. Yeah, like traditionally, it's about you know white dudes plundering Indians. But what Thanksgiving's about now is appreciating family and getting together and just sitting down and having boring dinner, even though it's boring as fuck. Having dinner together, like I like the spirit of Thanksgiving. I like that it's kind of Christmas Eve. It's the kickoff to the Christmas season, but that's how it used to be. Now it's this forgotten nonsense, and you know, as soon as fucking Halloween's over, it's fucking Christmas time. Fuck you. Thanksgiving is a legitimate holiday, and I don't want to hear we shouldn't celebrate Thanksgiving because it just celebrates you know the slaughtering of Indians. No, that's not what it's about anymore. If like we want to skip a holiday now, that celebrates the slaughtering of Indians. Let's skip Columbus Day. You know, let's let's skip right. that. Let's skip that guy. Columbus Day. Did some pretty terrible. Let's stuff. celebrate any Washington Redskins Super Bowl championships. <laughs> but Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving is a. It's not about all that old shit anymore. That has nothing to do with any of the generations living on the earth right now. Right now, Thanksgiving. I'm sure there's someone that's like 120 years old that was like, I was there when the fucking Indians were slaughtered, blah, blah, blah. Because you're giving me fucking side eye, you asshole. But Thanksgiving's not about that anymore. You don't know. You don't know. Time. (laughs) I know. I understand. I was being facetious. But Thanksgiving's not about that fucking nonsense anymore. Thanksgiving's just about getting together with family and friends and just, you know, appreciating what you have, what what you've earned, what you've been given, just appreciating the life that you're living. And the problem with... And I don't think it should be brushed aside for the fucking nonsense that Christmas has become. And it is, and a lot of people can't even enjoy that holiday that gets steamrolled because already weeks and weeks and weeks before, Christmas has already devoured... One more time. person tells me they hear they've heard a fucking Christmas song before Thanksgiving, and someone is getting their nose headbutted into their fucking brain. I was at uh, don't say I forget it. what it's store. Be you, I forget what store, dude. I was at some retail store the day after Halloween, and they were playing Christmas songs. What song was it? I don't remember, but it was some contemporary bullshit. Yeah, Toys R Us has had Christmas songs since. The day after Halloween. I look, I realize why that don't why don't we get into what we're thankful for? And then next week we'll talk about what Christmas songs do and don't make us irate. <laughs> well we were I mean, this wasn't just Christmas, so this was Christmas in general, you know. Stealing well, away. Yeah, but we can we can spread this <laughs> we can spread Christmas hate out for four weeks. Easy. We can talk about what we love for Christmas, short episode. 15 minute episode I get uh, hey look I like Christmas but Paul I want to agree with like a lot of what you said even if it was kind of insane uh, <laughs> but I I really do like the things about Thanksgiving that you like because it it really does kind of strip away a lot of the nonsense and it makes the holiday one of the more pure holidays actually to me it's the most pure holiday uh, that there is. Um, it's all about family and good food. It's kind of like Christmas without the commercialism, right? Um, it just sucks for families that have people that work retail like Ian's where they're kind of like ripped away and the the holidays 
partially ruined because of it, because their families can't enjoy that time because of the because of Christmas. It's kind of crazy. Um, it, you know, it's, it ruins two holidays. It really does. You know, I started thinking, and I said this kind of facetiously uh, maybe a couple weeks ago, but then I realized, you know what, this is totally going to happen. When are stores going to start opening on Christmas night? So people can start fucking making their returns. I guarantee you, in the next five years, that shit is going to happen. You Some retail, so? yes, I, I do. No. Some retailer out there is going to do it. Somebody's going to do it, and then other retailers are going to follow. And all it takes is one. That's the thing. See, I, it just no, takes one. I, I feel and you like- know what? And they will be crowded. People will go. People can't wait. Listen, I work. I work. Uh, listen, no, 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 no. listen. I work a side retail job, okay? So I experienced Black Friday, I experienced the holidays last year, and I can tell you unequivocally that the day after Christmas was without a doubt the busiest shopping day of the year. It was madness, complete madness, shoulder to shoulder people. It, it like it was horrifying. And I'm telling you, if stores open on Christmas night, like let's say eight o'clock, they start opening or seven o'clock in the evening, they're going to be crowded. People are going to be there with their returns, with their Christmas money. I'm telling their you, gift cards, their gift all cards. Those, it, it's stuff. it's a nightmare just waiting to happen. Yeah. See, I feel like Christmas Day is held so sacred that retailers aren't going to shift and open Christmas Day. No one gives a fuck about Thanksgiving. Yeah, open Thanksgiving. Who the fuck cares? Uh, uh, Halloween, fuck Halloween. You know, it's just a whore's holiday. Fuck it. You know, we'll open on Halloween. (laughs) Whore's holiday. (laughs) You know, so, but Christmas, like everyone just fucking strokes Christmas so hard. We can't open on Christmas. It's Christmas. We can't do it. It's Christmas. Fuck. Fuck you. They don't fuck dude, you. They don't care about Christmas. the the sanctity of Christmas. They care about that using that day as a springboard to make tons and tons of money. I don't think it's gonna. If it hasn't happened by now, it, I mean, like everything's been so exploited. Yeah, this and this point. is the one thing left to exploit. We are on and the verge will, of ads on NHL jerseys. They're already Complete there. Complete exploitation. They're already there in the NBA. They started doing it. It's, did they really? Poor shit. Yeah, Dude, because that's, the that's NBA just terrible. fucking folds and does whatever big market wants. <laughs> NHL is the last bastion of integrity. Or the NFL. They don't do that. And they'll never do that. Well, they're fucking Nazis. Right. You the can't... way the NFL rules their... Well, even Ian, watching... If the ratings keep going the way they're going, the NFL will be doing it too. Even watching um, Levy and Bell warm up with his jersey like rolled up to his tits. Yeah. I was like, oh, someone's got to be, someone in the NFL offices has got to be burning their fuck balls I over I thought that they were going to have a problem. He still has his pink mouth guard from last month, and I thought that that was going to be some kind of jersey or you know equipment infraction or something like that. Well, one of the Dolphins was where, like, had his, during the game, had his jersey like rolled up above his belly button. 
That's just how he was playing. Yeah, you can't do... And it's very in, college. Like, that was yeah, it. that's a... Like, college, you can get away with all that stuff. You don't have to wear socks. Right. Like, there's all kinds of stuff. So anyway... And no one gives a shit about college football. Let's be real. Paul, let's get to our main topic tonight. What are we thankful for? What are we thankful for? for? In the world of comic books. What are we thankful for? Do you want me to start? Yes, I do. I am thankful for, in general, the current stable of DC writers and artists. Not all of them. Some of them in particular. I feel like they really understand who Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, who these characters need to be. Who they are when you open when you open a book, you get the real character. In particular, Dan Abnett and Francis Manipal. Matt, I know you're not a big fan of Francis Manipal's artwork, but this dude gets DC heroes. Him and Dan Abnett, they understand who DC, who DC's characters are in that fundamental micro way that Jeff Johns does. Manipool is writing what right now? Manipool is writing and co-drawing Trinity. Co-drawing? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think Clay Man is going to be filling in every third issue or so. But Clay Man's work is really fucking cool. And what's really neat about it is Francis Manipool has a really neat page layout. He always does really different things. If you go back to the new 52 flash book that he drew, a lot of different page layouts, a lot of really artistic, interesting breakdowns. And Clay Man seems to be following in those same footsteps right. of using really neat, really interesting page layouts. You know who started that, I feel, was... Um What's that artist's name that was drawn Batwoman? Uh, uh, Freddie Williams. Williams. Freddie Williams? J.W. or G.W. Williams or something? I thought it was, uh, yeah, J, J. Was it J.J. Williams? Or we're it, such fucking idiots. I swear to God. There was an artist that it's was drawn. It's not Freddie Williams. He did, he has. Freddie he Williams. He is also a DC artist. Freddie that's Williams not who the second. Did a lot of he he did a run on Robin and he's current doing currently doing the He Man Thundercats book. Right, but that's not who. But I yeah, feel I was, like Freddie Williams is the guy that did Batwoman. No, it's definitely not. But um, whoever it was, uh, I felt like kind of set that standard for doing these really well designed layouts that were <laughs> they were so interesting. I didn't even care about the story. I felt like they were so cool to look at. Um, it was almost as if the artwork was secondary to the to the design of the layout, if that even makes sense. Like the storytelling was such a unique departure from your typical, you know, nine panel grids or whatever. It was almost like he decided, I'm going to do whatever Is I want to do. J.H. Williams? J.H. J.G. J.G. Did, uh, at J. some G. point, Williams. those initials or were wait, J.G. J. Jones. Not, in J. G. That. No, not Williams. Williams. Will, not Williams. No, no, no. J.G. Jones. Jones did not draw the interiors for Batwoman. J.G. Jones drew the covers for 52. And... He did not draw the interiors for Batwoman. I think he did. He did Pretty not. Sure he it did, was Williams. But... The guy's last name was Williams that drew Batwoman. Okay, well, we'll, we'll figure it out after the show. 
But uh, but anyway, Paul, you're thankful for a lot of these current creators in in the DC stable that are getting the characters the way that. Um, Jeff Johns did. So you're thankful for, uh, kind of the, the rebirth of DC comics. I I think they have, I think they have the right guys in place doing on the, on the right books, doing the right work. Uh, when I read a Superman comic book and now I'm, I'm of a certain age. I feel like the right, I feel like I'm in the wheelhouse of these writers. Like, you know, we all grew up on Christopher Reeve, Superman the movie. So when I read a Superman book, I want to hear Christopher Reeve in my ear. When I read that dialogue, I want to naturally hear Christopher Reeve deliver that dialogue because that is Superman. And like, some old head will probably be like, well, George Reeves should really be saying that dialogue. And some young kid will be like, no, it should be Henry Cavill. And I get it. It's all generational. But personally, like, I feel like Superman should be presented as Christopher Reeve. And when Francis Manipal and Dan Abnett and Pete Tomasi are all writing in three separate books, all writing Superman appearing in just guest appearances or in Pete Tomasi's case, a starring role, and you feel that like Christopher Reeve is still alive. Like it's the Superman. It's the aspiration of hope and promise and all the goodness. Everything Superman is supposed to be. That's what's coming through on the page. That's what the current creators... (laughs) That's what the current creator. You okay? Okay. I, I was I was I was animated making this point. I have a beer in my hand. It kind of spilled a little bit. It Your passion threw me off just my, threw me off of my point. Matt, if you didn't fucking laugh at that, I would have fucking I would have fl- followed through. I'm sorry. But I kept looking at you, and you just kept fucking cracking up, <laughs> and I just couldn't stop. I tried to look away, but these like these guys are fucking killing it. So days. okay, so um, which Superman title are you are you really enjoying? I am enjoying Superman, and that Pizza Massey, mm-hmm. and he's also appeared in Dan Abnett's Aquaman. Now, uh, and he's mm-hmm. in Trinity, which is Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. Right, but but Pizza Massey's not writing that. Francis Manipal's writing that. Right, so. <clears throat> The Superman comic book written by Pete Tomasi is the one that features his son, right? And the current arc brought Batman and his son into the fold. So yes. it's it's kind of a family affair. Yeah. And you're down with Superman and Batman having kids that are going to be the next Superman and Batman. That's You're enjoying that? Uh, yeah, I am. Um, like on the surface, when you bring up that kind of dynamic, it seems it seems contrived. It feels forced. Right, but and when Grant Morrison did it, it did feel contrived and forced. Damian Wayne, the son of Batman and Talia Al Ghul, and some desert trysts one night where Batman fucked her with his fucking cowl and cape on. That's like, how you fuck, though, right? 
No? Yeah, I mean, that's my loan here. <laughs> well, like he took some old 70s uh, Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams story and folded it into the modern day. So, oh, well, they had sex that night. Talia conceived a child. And He's a Damian, shooter. And Damien, right. I mean, Bruce, well, come on, Bruce Wayne. If he puts a fucking load in you, you're pregnant. If you're a guy, you're going to get pregnant. That's how Diesel Bruce Wayne is. Wow. I mean, there, there are only lambskin condoms out in the desert. Bruce, at that point. Bruce raw dogs. Bruce doesn't. Bruce doesn't wear condoms. Because he, he goes in with a purpose. You don't think he knew what he was doing that night? So, but then the fan base is questioning how contrived it is if he's, you know, in control of, of well, all I, of his soldiers. Yeah. Well, I th- then I think how contrived could it possibly be? I think it's, I think it's silly. I like, I, you I just think, don't like Damien the character. That's all. I didn't like Damien the character as written by the creator, Grant Morrison, because Grant Morrison wrote him is just completely unlikable. Like, you could knock it on this kid's side. Like, he was... It was like watching The Omen, reading Grant Morrison-written Damien books. But by the time Pete Tomasi got a hold of him with Patrick Gleason on art and Batman and Robin, you got a different side of Damien. You got a softer side. Pete Tomasi has a way of writing Bruce and Damien as a real duo that... Like they're they butt heads a lot of the time. They also work together a lot of the time, and it really it, the relationship between the two characters is really natural. It really works out with, the, with using Alfred as a buffer between the two of them. It really worked out great, and I loved that book. I thought it worked out good, even when Morrison was still writing it. Whenever dick grayson was batman and damien it was it was the damien dick grayson and you kind of had a um sort of you flipped things around where uh robin was sort of the more dark character and batman had more of the optimism being dick and i really enjoyed that i think it was just the dynamic of those two characters being in those roles that made damien a little more palatable whenever it was bruce when it was initially bruce and Damien, it was too much of the same. Yeah, and the way the way Morrison wrote it was that I mean, was that Damien was just horrible. He was right. He grew up t- being taught by the League of Assassins. He was just a terrible person. He was mean. He was nasty. He was disrespectful the entire time. But the way Pete Tomasi wrote him was that it was all kind of show. It was all a little bit of bravado. And Pete Tomasi was able to inflect a, a little bit of of uh, unsurety, a little bit of humility, uh, a, li- a little bit of awe for, holy shit, my dad's Batman. And the way Pete Tomasi is able to write that nuance that it's not, that Damien never says, oh my god, I can't believe my dad's Batman. But just the way he folds that kind of stuff into the dialogue and, and, and into the writing, it makes that character... So much, so much more likable because he's so much more well-rounded. Whereas Graham Morrison's just like, I'm doing crazy shit because I like crazy shit, and Damien's just gonna be hell child and it's gonna be great. And like, I don't understand why people love like Neil Gaiman and Alan Moore and Grant Morrison. What do they all have in common? They all they're have all, like one. They're all British. singular great right. thing. 
Right. Do you think there's something to that? Like, Warren Ellis falls right into that fold, too. Like, they're all kind of... Because I feel like... Maybe Mark Millar, but I feel like Warren Ellis has, like, tons tons of missteps on his resume, whereas all those other guys... Are always held up as such great writers, but fuck people. Fuck really those like dudes. Warren Ellis. I that's what I thought Don't too. like anything he's ever written. Ever. I've in, I've enjoyed but people. Uh, I feel that's like all the same. Read well, even read the four part not dead yet story. It's a Wolverine story. First thing I ever wrote by yeah. or read by Warren Ellis. It was also drawn by the first thing I'd ever seen drawn by uh, Lionel Francis Yu, and it was before they both sucked. And it's really good. Really, really good storyline. Not dead yet. Even without bringing up, you know, those big, the big comic book writers, I feel like guys like Dan Abnett and Pete Tomasi. Are they they British? No. Oh, those guys are Americans. Right. Okay. Just like Brian Bendis and Jeff Johns, also American guys. But guys like Dan Abnett and Pete Tomasi, they need some more credit because they've been writing consistently good well-selling comic books for a long time dan abnett is one of the only reasons guardians of the galaxy is even known to the mass public right now that's fair like he doesn't write bad comics and I am th- I'm thankful for dan abnett and i'm thankful for francis manipul because those guys get who DC's characters are. Dan Abnett writes the current Wonder or the Wonder Woman, the current Aquaman book, and it is fucking cool. It is a really great take on Aquaman. And I love blonde Wait, who's writing that orange one? shirt, Dan Abnett. Okay. Aquaman. I love orange shirt, blonde, handsome Aquaman. Because the way he's written, it's not about it's not about how he's perceived. You see all of Arthur's flaws. You see his his human nature against his Atlantean nature. You see the way, you know, like Mira is like the counterpoint to him and doesn't understand the the surface world. And Black Manta is the main villain, and Black Manta is such a great fucking character. Really cool design. I always like the way that Black Manta looks. Yeah, it's like kind of goofy seventies, but still menacing. If that makes any sense. Well, I like that. They retain the look of the character for the modern age. They didn't have to change it because it was kind of goofy. Like, they just kind of went with it and it still works. You know, like, you see so many characters that lose their classic look because they're afraid that it doesn't translate. These are superheroes. They have silly powers. They make no sense in the real world. And yet, you're worried that the look of the character isn't going to be acceptable. It's just a baffling double standard that I'm not down with. A lot of Spider-Man villains fall prey to this. Like, Dr. Octopus, in many iterations, didn't look like he was supposed to. Can't give him the bowl cut and glasses anymore. Electro is a major major character. Well, now he's just a burn victim. And then, and then Vulture would be another one that they've changed and changed and changed. Um, and these characters are just at their best when they look like how they're supposed to. But anyway, uh, Paul, thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah, Rebirth. I think Rebirth has done a great job uh, curating their creator. I have their to agree, creator, man. I'm, cre- I'm thankful for Rebirth roster. as well. Uh, as much as I like the New 52 when it started... It definitely, like, I had fallen off on almost everything New 52 before they did the rebirth. 
uh, there was very little that I was actually really enjoying. But I really liked the way the new 52 kicked off. I liked having the one night whenever you went to the shop and they had like a, a kickoff evening and you could go late and I know that me and Dom went up to the shop and, and bought all the awesome. books and it was fun. It had yeah. like that um, like Midnight Madness feel to it. Yeah, I, I'll tell you what. I think I bought every first issue of the new 52. I think you did and didn't you sell them? No, I also bought every lenticular cover that's of the Villains Month for New 52, and I tried to sell them, <laughs> but uh, by then, the entire world had all sold them. So I still have my stash. I wonder so if, if anybody it's is got any there. value. Um, yeah, so, uh, Ian, it's Thanksgiving time. Mm-hmm. You're a thankful kind of guy. <laughs> when it comes to comic books, what are you thankful for? I'm thankful for... It's, this is going to be sort of a, like an abstract thing that I'm thankful for. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thankful for sort of like the cyclical nature of storytelling in comic books. And what I mean by that is that you can have all these different eras and you can have writers that that take control and, and um, really embody certain certain eras you have like the dark and gritty 80s era you have the super duper optimistic silver age stuff you have all the old you know like overly patriotic things from the 30s you have the wide format stuff that happened in the early 2000s with um brian hitch and artists of that that ilk I, i like that we have so many things in in that you can go back and with digital comics, you can go back and you can get all these different eras of storytelling, and, and they're all accessible and right at your fingertips. Whereas with and and I don't think that a lot of that stuff wears off. Whereas with film or maybe even with books too, um, I think that maybe certain writing styles just kind of fade away, or certain ways that you present things in film kind of just fall away. But I think at least I can enjoy. Um, comic books that were written in the 30s and and what they were and that style of of storytelling um it's such a flexible way to tell stories and and these characters are so uh durable and they thousands and thousands of different creators have been able to tell stories using all of our favorite characters superman spider-man batman and you get to see all these different sides of them and throughout the years. So I, I like, I guess it's more of the, the flexibility of the medium of comic books it, is what I'm thinking. It's for. kind of interesting. Cause in a way it's not flexible. I mean, it, like I get what you're saying, but Batman in the thirties was pictures and words. And that's exactly what Batman is today. Well, I mean like you know, the 75 story five years later, the, the, like the storytelling of in the way that the stories are presented yeah, that's different. Um, is drastically right? different. It is. The I mean, Batman in the th- the 30s and 40s was uh, a lot darker and different than the way that Batman right. in the 60s was. But, that but, uh, Batman in the 80s was. It's true. It's the the same characters, sort of uh, being chameleons and changing with the times and representing some of the same things, but mm-hmm. also uh, taking uh, their cues from 
modern culture and and but still holding on to yeah a there's lot of certainly an evolution to it um and it's interesting to see all the different forms of like media that a lot of these characters exhibit but you know the the original comic books is still kind of tried and true i mean yeah the style has changed but it's still you know, pictures and words on a printed page. That's still what it is. You know, the coloring techniques are better. The writing is more sophisticated. The illustrations are better, but it's still kind of what it is. And that's pretty neat. One thing that's fun about comic books is that the the turnaround time is so quick with comic books that you can kind of try a lot of different things. You can try, and it doesn't cost, it, you know, a mundane story that is all character you know all character based dialogue based at a coffee shop is going to cost the same amount of money as something that happens in outer space on a spaceship or a space battle you can try all these different things and you're not limited by anything other than your imagination and i think that's something that the medium of comic books really takes advantage of mm-hmm I agree with that. So, I do think the the um, the time passage of comics is probably the same as as movies. Like you know, you're like I can go back and read a comic from the 30s, and it's no big deal. But I feel like that's very person specific because I can't read. I I can't go back and read a comic from the 80s. It's like fucking torture to me <laughs> from the 80s. The fucking dialogue. And like looking at the colors and everything. Have yeah. you never gone back and read, you know, action uh, the original action comics or the original detective yeah, and, comics? Yeah, and it's or like I can like go that? back. I can go back to like the forties and look look up some books and read right. them, and they're, they're interesting, they're neat. But I'm never like, oh my god, what a comp- what a compelling read! Right. This just you never like. Oh, I can't wait to see what happens next. Me. Yeah, I'm like, oh well, this is it, it's it's like a, a history lesson. It's like, oh well, this right. it's interesting from the from the side of well, this is how this is where we came from, this is how it started. Like, this is great, but you get and but that's the difference between like you know 30s, 40s, and even 50s comics. But getting into like 70s and 80s comics, I'm like, this is just like the middle, and it's just it's just like a slog. To yeah. get through that stuff. Yeah. And like going through like 80s and 90s X-Men books is just a fucking nightmare. <laughs> well, because it's just... That's going through it's just a section of time you didn't like right. with a section of uh, heroes that you don't like either. So, of course it's a slog. Or you have no... I mean, like... Like you have no background in it. You have no nostalgia for it. But I, I, like, I, um, that's not a surprise that mean, you wouldn't enjoy that, Paul. But yeah, but you guys know, you guys know what I like. You guys know what I don't like. And I don't mean to make the X Men the specific example. I'm just saying that I feel like because you were like, well, you know, comics you can go back and read all this stuff, and it's all great, unlike movies. But like, there's cinephiles out there who will look at a movie from 1938 and be like, this is. This is the most artistic, right, right, right. Ex- artistic presentation like, of this medium. Have you blah, guys? Blah, blah. And I'm like, no, that's some fucking 30s bullshit. It's have garbage. you seen Citizen Kane? No. no. It's regarded as like the best movie of all time. Right. Kind of sucks. It really does. Uh, it's painfully boring. Um, 
It just what is. do you think is the most flexible medium then? What do you think? A flexible medium? Like, what, what do you think would, or I guess uh, durable is more of it. Um, what do you think holds up the best throughout the years? Is it music? Uh, I feel like it's probably um, books, like novels. Books, novels Things yeah. that, that really unlock your imagination because it's limitless and it can be interpreted so many different ways. Uh, yeah, as much as 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 hard as it is for me to get through that fucking Edgar Allan Poe compendium, um, I mean, it's still a lot of that stuff still so highly highly regarded. Like you know, a lot of stuff like Twenty Thousand Leagues is still highly regarded. So yeah, I think books is probably probably where it's at. Ian. I don't know. I th- I think probably music is more something that music has such a, a visceral kind of reaction with me um, when I hear something um, from from the '60s. You know, the way that if you listen to the Beatles for the first time, mm-hmm. I think that has a similar effect to a lot of people, where it just changes the way that you look at at the world. Honestly, yeah. And I don't think that a book does that for no book has ever made me feel the way that music has made me feel but what was your question but i i I feel like what was my question i feel like there's a wider range of there are more old books that are still regarded as like classroom learning material right but maybe then the music that still holds up because you know you still hear like i thought you were asking me what what's more durable and I was saying, I was saying that I think that maybe music, right? I th- right, durable. I I don't know. I guess I interpreted what durable meant. Like I felt like your answer was which one gives you like a bigger boner. Yeah, I feel that's durability I, too. If oh, you okay. Talk to the Viagra would... people. I mean, <laughs> I think books still have more to offer. I feel like there's more like old old books and old stories that are still relevant now than old music. I well, for me personally, no there there isn't a book that has made me feel the way that music has made me feel. Because you can't take it in as, as easily. Like, you know, no one's no one's going to put you know like no one's well, going to put 20,000 leagues as a back into a car commercial. Is an accurate commercial from 2016. So, like, yeah, we've had certain well, music I mean, all of our lives. Like, it's been right. part of all of our lives. But, like, there are certain... Isn't the impact that you feel? I mean, what what's the most impactful book that you've ever read? It. Okay. I don't know. I'm just what asking. was your point? I'm just asking. I didn't have a point. I was just being... <laughs> But again, <laughs> durable and impactful, I think, are two different things. And I, I, I feel like there's more, there's more literature to be consumed that still holds up. But it's, it's not as easy to hear a part of it or a piece of it and to be pulled into it as like a smaller amount of music from the beginning of time. The yeah. beginning of recorded time to now. This is such a fucking wacko fucking yeah. topic. And I guess the the recorded history of music is 
much different than the recorded history of literature. So, yeah, I, w- yeah, that's true. I just feel like with music, it, it's a bit less open to interpretation. Like the notes are what the notes are. Uh, the words can mean different things to you, but, um, you know, it's kind of giving you the content at face value. Whereas I think with, with books, it really is up to you to imagine what you're reading on the page and what it's going to look like yeah, in your mind's eye. The same, can, same can be said for music. I mean, music is completely, you know, person to person interpretive. Yeah, it is. I, uh, yeah, I mean, like, there's certain songs, like the lyrics will tell you, like, I was born to run. I lived in a pink house. I was That's born in the USA. Right. But, I mean, person to person, even though Some people those are dudes like, are telling go you. Go back to New Jersey. You even, though, even though those dudes are telling you that thing. Like, I can choose to believe whatever I whatever I want. Because I don't, I wasn't there when the coog or the boss were putting those words down. So when I hear that, like it's part of, it's part, it becomes part of me. So music has just as much of an interpretive nature as a novel does. Okay. Maybe even more so. Well, maybe to you. (laughs) Oh, maybe to you, Matt says. In your face. Well, Matt, we're winding down here. You expressed some, uh, you know, your your grievances earlier, but now it's time to get into what you're thankful for. Right. Earlier was the things I'm not thankful for, and that's crappy Christmas music. But uh, what I am thankful for when it comes to comic books are kind of like, it's very personal to me. Um, It's a lot of the things that kind of got me into comics. I'm thankful for uh, a lot of my formative early years when it comes to superheroes and comic books. So everything from like my cousin uh, Mick, who was a... He, he's 10 years older than me, but uh, I can remember when he would see all my Secret Wars action figures and he would ask me... Is his me, last name Casal? Is he Mick Casal? No, he's not. Uh, he he had uh, he would ask me well, where's Wolverine and I didn't know who that was I assumed he was a bad guy because that just sounds like a bad guy name to a it looks like a bad guy to a six year old and um, you know eventually while I loved Spider Man I became kind of obsessed with Wolverine without really knowing who he was because my cooler older cousin liked Wolverine. So the very first comic book I ever bought featured Spider-Man and Wolverine. And that was not an accident. That was because of his influence on me. You know, I'm thankful for the store that I used to buy my comic books at. It was, it was a little store in a, in a small shopping center. It wasn't even a strip mall. It was a shopping center. And, uh, it, it was a little crappy little bookstore. It was called the bookshelf. And there was one spinner rack there and that's where I used to buy all my comic books early on. And some of my most favorite and prized comic books came from that store. Uh, particularly Spider-Man number 12, mine and Ian's very first comic book from 1991. Mm-hmm. And uh, So fucking sick of listening to you two touch tips over that shit. And, uh, you know, good comics from the 90s, right, Ian? 
and uh, so hard to read. And it's and I know we can't go backwards. It's a slog, right? Right. And uh, one year later, holy shit! I was only in, into comics for a year when this came out. Savage Dragon number one. I got at the bookshelf, and like I'm I'm thankful for all those creators at that time. Th- those are the guys the those writers and those artists, that's the reason why I've been into it for all these years. They're the ones that had me so incredibly fascinated with the way you could tell stories and the artwork. And, you know, guys like Todd McFarlane and Eric Larson were so fucking influential on me. And I'm thankful that they were because I don't know if I'd still be into comics or if I'd be doing this podcast. It always blew my mind whenever I got, when I really got into comic books because I knew of Spider-Man and I had seen Spider-Man comic books and, you know, watched the cartoon and everything like that. But then whenever I saw what they were doing in the 90s with what Todd McFarlane was doing and Eric Larson, I, it blew my mind that that's what Marvel Comics could be, that it could be so... At, at that time, it was it was adult. It's kind it was, of edgy. It was different. Well, I mean, Spider Man was, was getting his getting really beat up and right, bleeding all over the place. Right. And I was like, wow, this is this is crazy the that very, they could do that. The very first comic book we bought, Ian, Spider Man number twelve, Paul. Uh, in that issue, we were dealing with topics like uh, child killings, right? Child molestation and child killings, yeah. Right. And it was insane. Right, and I didn't know what I was reading because we came in in part five of five of the Perception storyline, mm-hmm. and I had no idea what I was reading, but I knew I liked it. I knew I was like, I think I'm going to get the next one of this, and I did. Spider-Man number 13, Paul. That was when Spider-Man went back to black, right? That was uh, correct. For two issues. Uh, What? So anyway, I'm thankful I for- like I like how it's fair when Paul can sit there and jerk off to fucking Francis Manipool <laughs> for an hour. And then me and you were having a conversation about Todd McFarlane. And it's like, ah, oh, I can't stand it. And and let's face it, Francis Manipool couldn't sharpen Todd McFarlane's pencil. Let's get the fuck out of here. I agree with you. Todd man. McFarlane's slop. Oh, please. You loose, don't even loose know. Loose nonsense all over the place. Loose nonsense? He was right Francis at the Manipool He was, he was right at the time. He to save his life. He was, no, Todd McFarlane. Francis no, Manipool no. draws splash of pages of like guys standing talking. It's like, do you understand what the purpose of a splash page is? Yeah, and Todd McFarlane draws like weird anatomy. And you just, just don't like the way that he draws people's hair everywhere. I, that's that's it. And yeah, Todd his fucking hair. female hair is garbage. It was it's hot, like shitty garbage. Ninety. It's the worst. Hair was kind of bigger than his fucking eyes and noses. Come on, over exaggerated, son. Animation, cartooning. Now style, Francis man. Manipool is cartooning. Todd McFarlane is, is cartooning, just dude. Big, now, big different style. Now Paul, it's just, just, it's different, just a preference. different era. Now Paul, it's, it's just a different era. Now Paul. You bought how many issues of Batman with Greg Capullo drawing it? A lot. A lot. Now, Greg Capullo, if I'm not mistaken, is a protege of Todd McFarlane's, correct? Yes, but I feel like Greg Capullo refined Todd McFarlane's style. You know, it's interesting that you say that because Todd McFarlane thinks that Greg Capullo surpassed him. I do not agree with that. I think well, yeah, Todd that's McFarlane how I feel. is still the master. Oh, you're nuts. 
I would. I think that Todd McFarlane doesn't an, doesn't do enough um, monthly illustrating to really have uh, as sharp a refinement on that style as Greg Capullo does. Perhaps. I don't know. I mean, you still see his covers and the occasional illustration. You're like, God damn, why doesn't this guy draw I know. I wish he would get book. back in the game. and I wish he would take just, Spawn back. Right. And just do, start do doing 12 issues. Do a, a Jim Lee and do 12 issues. Come right. on, Todd. Just do it because you, you can. I agree. He's too busy running the business. He's got other things so. going on. I guess so. But anyway. And I don't, I don't not appreciate Todd McFarlane's sort of business sounds prowess. like you don't. You're like, oh, he's <laughs> fucking slop and bullshit. I don't think he's an incredible. <laughs> he draws weird eyes. Yeah, I don't think he's an incredible artist by any means. But right. like his business That's kinda, you know, is almost second to none. Dude his business. Going on. This is the same guy that bought two baseballs worth like millions of dollars all to like have their, their home he, run record broken like the next year. But he could. And he did. Because he had excellent business sense to be able to get him to that point. His eye and nose drawing sense? Garbage. But his fucking financial wealth? Fuck yeah. Well done, son. Come on. Yeah, but Paul, you have to understand his fortune was started because of his drawing ability, not because he was a great businessman. If yeah, he couldn't draw awesomely... But come on. Rob Liefeld had a great artist career then, too. And he fucking... He still stinks. He still stinks. Well, that... that Yeah, that's kind of hard to argue. Yeah. So, that's going to do it tonight. We're, what, seven minutes over? I don't... I have no idea. Yeah. My name is Paul McGinty. Ian Sharpley. Macasau. Happy Thanksgiving, folks. Happy Happy Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving, everyone. We'll see you next time.